Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Megan, you know, in between, let's say, when the national news was on, we were talking about you want to get, you know, you like to get your kids outside. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do when it's this hot, though, when there's these heat warnings? Do you actually do stuff outside? We did get them out last night. It, it was late. It was probably 7, 7.30 before we took them outside. I mean, it was still oppressive out there, and they were just <laughs> dripping with perspiration. <laughs> but I knew that they would not sleep last night if they didn't get some exercise. Right. So, you know, I I would take them to the pool. We just didn't have time yesterday, but that's another great option. Sure. Sometimes we go ice skating. I mean, Whoa, you want to talk about, yeah, the perfect place <laughs> to stay cool, go to an ice rink. And then, too, I did clean out the basement a little bit this summer so that they can go down there and go crazy. It's Yeah, yeah it's unfinished. It's unfinished. It's cooler, <laughs> so they can go down there and make all the noise they want. Well, great. I was just curious because, I mean, they have these heat warnings, and you know, you had mentioned you like to get the kids outside, so... Yeah, so seven thirty, and they're dripping wet with sweat anyway. That's right. Yeah, they, they'd already had one shower in the morning, but they had to have another one last night. Uh, oh. I mean, I'm sure anybody that's been in the heat this week knows. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you step brutal. out there for five minutes, and you feel like you need to shower off again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Folks, every Saturday we get together and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, potting mixes, soil improvement, pruning, bugs, diseases, planting, removals, and planting installations, and how to make the best choices. Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take physical and mental effort on your part in this great marathon called gardening. There is no sprints, to be honest with you. There was somebody I was talking to the other day, and they were saying, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on and on, and that's what it is. You may get something done, think it's over with, you know, and it's not, which is okay. That's kind of the neat part of this. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg, he's producing today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. Though my business says Mike Miller Designs, I'm not doing any designs anymore, folks. I'm just too old. No. I just decided to concentrate on the consulting more so than actually doing the designs because there's some very, most of the people I visit their homes, they don't really need a design per se. They just need some, let's say, tune-ups or they need some suggestion for plant material and things like that. So I only consult. So that's the way it goes, which I call a walk and talk. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. From South City, I just come straight north on Gravoy. 
to get here to KMOX. So today I thought, hmm, where am I going to take my good garnish stroll? So I thought, here I am at the corner of Tucker and Mark and Market, and the island that separates Tucker, which uh, you know, be as actually gravelly as you go further south, separates the north and south lanes. The island in there, well, there is knockout roses, daylilies, really some nice orange daylilies, purple cone flowers, and some maiden grass. This is right in front of the Civil Courts building. And the focal point of the Civil Courts building, at least the plaza area on the west side, is a statue dedicated to the memory of St. Louis police officers who have given their lives in the performance of their duties. And the care of the statue is provided by the St. Louis Police Foundation. There's neatly trimmed box boxes, microphylla, in other words, small leaf boxwood. And uh, it's enclosed with a wrought iron fence. Very nice. There's multiple planting areas in this plaza. And within that, uh, the plaza is actually stone, cut stone, granite, and bricks. And it kind of really is neat. And uh, some of the cutout planted spaces... They've been really nicely mulched, so it looks good. I think for a while it was getting a little bit wild and crazy to a certain point. It looks like it's really been cleaned out, so I was very impressed with it as I looked around today. And there's varieties of spring-flowering ornamental trees, some crab apples as well as some flowering pear trees. Uh, The street trees in this area are zelkovas, which is a cousin to the elms. Other plantings in the planting spaces include penicetum, which is an ornamental grass, feathery grass, obviously an ornamental grass, other boxwood, knockout roses, and then there's a flagpole, and it has the City of St. Louis flag, and it honors those who served in the war with Spain, the Philippine insurrection, and the China Relief Expedition, which happened in 1898 to 1902. Wow. And so it was this flagpole was erected in I'm gonna be giving you Roman numerals. M C M X X X I V. I'm not gonna tell you what that is, but anyway, you can figure it out if you want to. And along Tucker, there's hanging baskets which are filled with chartreuse colored sweet potato vines. Then the large pots right which are right below contain calocasia, which is an elephant ear, basically, only it's not totally an elephant ear. It grows more upright. It doesn't quite flop as much as, like, the classic elephant ear in the breeze. There's also some sweet potato vines there. There's two different varieties of exotic begonias. There's petunias. There's lantana. There's coleus. And uh, there's Moses in the bulrush. And, well, and also um, New Guinea impatience. And as I said before, coleus. And uh, the combination is really kind of neat. I don't know who decides what should be going in there. But this morning, the breeze was very, very nice. The sky was really, the blueness was great. And it just had this wisp of clouds, which kind of just changed the tone or the tint a little bit. So anyway, that's a good gardening stroll. I will be back after these messages. KMOX is looking for the best barbecue place in town. Oh, I love barbecue. Now through July 11th, tell us your favorite place at KMOX.com slash BBQ. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions or concerns about your plant material, 
And uh, boy, this heat is making it really, really difficult for lots of different kinds of plant material. Things that were kind of on the cusp, the heat like this can push them over the edge very, very quickly. And it also can make it so you things that you didn't even really kind of notice, you weren't even conscious about, suddenly, yikes, what's going on here? There's a guy that lives down the street from me whose dog is Lucy. You've heard me talk about Lucy. Lucy grows tomatoes. And uh, he was saying, you know, my Zoya's lawn just disappeared. And, uh, well, it doesn't just disappear in, like, one season. It had been declining, you know, and uh, just with the heat like this, it just sort of erased it. Now he's got to, you know, get the whole new lawn put in. And I, he asked, he had asked somebody else, but I told him, I said, you're taking a big chance if you're trying to do the seeding and everything this time of year. It's going to be very, very difficult to keep the newly germinated seed alive. It's just not going to work. I say just you're going to have to get everything taken care of, get all the weeds taken care of, get the ground ready, get it prepared, and then wait to late August or early September before you put the seed down. Yeah, you got two months of looking at, let's say, dirt or mud or whatever it happens to be, but... You know, at least you're going to have a a greater chance of success with the seed. And just realize also, when you put seed down in your lawn, it's not going to be one application of seed is going to make you have a thick lawn. You're probably going to have to reseed every May and every September for a couple years before you're going to have a thick lawn. Let's go now to West County and into Ann's yard. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Uh, Two questions. Is it all right to feed a dogwood tree at this time of the year? Uh, Probably not. Not, when would be an advisable time to do that? Now, basically, are you talking about using fertilizer or are you talking about feeding the soil? I'm talking about feeding the soil around. Okay, the like deep root feeding. So you want to do yeah. that when, uh, let's say, the foliage starts at least turning color, if not falling off. So you've got about you know five or six months to do it. So you want to get it done before the new growth begins in the springtime. And it's not that tra- you know traumatic to do that because you're not really doing anything to the tree per se, but it's just better to do it at that time of year. Okay, so maybe March, March-ish? Yeah, well, that would be the latest. Probably I would, you know, my thinking would be sometime after uh, Halloween and then you know, by the Ides of March. Oh, after, oh, so then twice, after Halloween and then? No, you, just sometime within that time frame. Oh, within that time frame. Right. So, and then also if you start, you're going to auger holes and backfill them with compost. Uh, Start about halfway out from the trunk to the drip line, which is the extension of the branches. Then just do circles all the way around the circles. Drill the holes about two feet apart and then do another circle further out, about a foot apart. So that way you're feeding your soil and your soil will feed your dogwood. Okay, thank you. Also, what is a good all-purpose... insect spray i'm getting spots on my zinnias and usually i don't get them this soon i mean something is also eating them not the zinnias the leaves is there a good all-purpose insect spray that doesn't harm the flowers but kind of is effective well i mean there's several different kinds of things you could use insecticidal soap and give that a try but most of the insecticides and especially with annuals there, you're going to have to use a contact killer, so you're going to actually have to see the insect and spray it on the insect. You can't just spray it on the leaves and get much of an impact out of it. And usually with annuals, you can't use something like a systemic, and that's an insecticide that you mix up 
and you know pour it onto the ground, and then the plant takes it up through this root system. And then if an insect feeds, then it kills it that way. But with the annuals, that's just not going to be all that effective for you. So you've got to really make sure you know what there is there and spray right onto those bugs. I don't see anything when I go out there. And these are all in large pots, so none of these flowers are in the ground. Right, that's fine. Just go out earlier in the morning or late in the evening and start checking on the underside of the leaf. Okay, all right. And then find a spray? Yeah, insecticidal soap works very well. It's very you know low toxicity, and that's probably what I would use. Where would you purchase something like that? Uh, virtually any type of year-round garden center should have it. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Yep. Thank you for having me on your show. Let's go over to Belleville. Val, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm having uh, problems with squirrels in my garden. I mean, they are just ripping my tomatoes faster than they are. I can't keep them. <laughs> I can spray or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to, you know, it's a little tough, especially because it's so, even though we've had the rain and everything else, that you're talking about they're taking the actually the tomatoes, right, and chewing on them? Not yeah, the, and then they just leave them in my yard. Right. What they're doing is they're going after moisture. So there's not too much you can do. Physical barrier, but I mean, to try to build some, there's a house near me that has built this cage over their tomatoes. I mean, the thing looks crazy, but I guess it is somewhat effective because I see squirrels running across the top of it. But there's not, I mean, for the most part, the problem with some of the repellents is it's not going to be all that effective. If somebody is, let's say, desperate and they're going to, let's say, die of dehydration, lack of water, their tendency is going to be to sort of force themselves to go through this, you know, let's say, repellent to to be able to get something to drink, which is your tomatoes. So, yes, there are some, you know, I would just say go to Effinger's Garden Center and see what they'd recommend for a repellent as far as the squirrels go. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yep. I enjoy your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And now, Morrisonville, Illinois. Mitch, how are you? Doing great, Mike. I got a quick question for you. We have some irises along the house, and, oh, they've probably been there over 50 years and they bloom this beautiful purple around Mother's Day, usually for about 10 days or so. My question is, now that they've bloomed and the stalks are just there, can I trim them stalks off down to ground level? Oh, absolutely. You're talking about the flower stalks, right? Yeah, the the green, the reed-looking stalks. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. As soon as the flowers drop, because you're not really expecting or the chances of the iris you know, actually forming seeds is minimal at best. So yeah, as soon as they finish flowering, you can cut those stalks off. They don't help the overall health. Now the blades, you know, of the iris, definitely you want to leave those, but the flower stalks can be cut at any time when the flowering's finished. I misspoke then. I was asked, I, what I meant to say would have been the blades then, the, you know, the green wide oh. uh, part of the plant. No, definitely okay. not. Because be, what happens is Nutrients and moisture are uptaken by the root system or the tuber of the iris. They send it up to those leaves of the iris. The iris then says, welcome sun, and it uses sun and those nutrients and moisture to create chlorophyll, which is food. So that's how they build up their strength for the following year. So, no, don't cut those down until probably mid-September or so. 
Oh, so you can cut the re- actually cut the reeds back come September then? Yes, right. Because by that time they've pretty much finished as far as productivity is, you know, and the days are getting shorter and everything else. So usually you can do it by that time. That's naturally or normally when I run into problems because it's we've got so many trees around the house and then the leaves blow in there and I can't, you know, it's a it's a nightmare getting the leaves out. Right. So. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. So sometime around Labor Day, you can cut them. Cut them down to a stub of about two inches or so. Will do. I appreciate it, Mike. All right. Great. And now let's go to Tony. And Tony lives in Manchester. Hi, Tony. Oh, thanks, Mike. Uh, with the uh, uh, recent uh, information about uh, Roundup, I think there was a chemical in there was a claim that causes cancer. Is there a, an environmentally uh, safe herbicide? I've got grandkids, uh, I mean, uh, grandkids and, and pets that I can use on uh, weeds, uh, gra- you know, just grass weeds, uh, uh, weeds in the yard that is effective and kind of kind of safe. Well, if you're trying, if if they're grassy weeds, are they in your lawn or are they in bed spaces? No, no, I, I, I spoke there was just like normally chickweed of dandelion white you know just normal weeds that grow in lawns uh, i've normally used like uh, artho weed be gone and stuff like that but i'm concerned about all this stuff now i didn't know if there's some type of product that's uh, kind of environmentally safe for uh, they say you can you know you can walk on it after it dries but is there anything safer than that you know i think the, you know what you're talking about yeah the roundup has you know the, let's say the, the notation behind its name. But the Weed Be Gone's and things like that, they have been around for an extremely long period of time, and they're effective. Some of the other, you know, let's say more organic-type products, their effectiveness, if you're really serious about getting rid of the weeds, I mean, the other option is to hand-dig them to get rid mm-hmm. of the weeds. But, uh, yeah, I would say just stay with the Weed Be Gone. Okay, I, I wanted to check with you first. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for your help. Certainly. Thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With this hot, remember... Don't scalp your lawn too short because it can sunburn. It's like having your hair and then, you know, let's say it's X amount of inches long and cutting it, you know, to more or less shaving your head and you're going to get sunburn and the lawn will do the same thing. So just don't cut it short. Let the blades get a little bit longer. They're going to help shade the crown. That's, let's say, the brains of the grass of your lawn. So just keep that in mind. With the blue grasses, probably about four inches or so. And same with the zoysas, even a little bit more. I've got my mower set, I think, at about four and a half inches for my zoysa. Gloria lives in Springfield, Illinois. Gloria, how are you today? Fine, fine Mike. How are you doing? Very good. All right. Talking about watering, Let's. And, uh, here's a question my friends and I have been talking about. Let's say it rains, uh, heavy rain, you get two inches of rain. So when do you water again? Do you wait, you know, since it's a lot of rain and a lot of water, do you wait four or five days? Do you set it for your usual schedule of just two or three days later? We're never sure when to water again after a heavy rain. Basically what you want to do is make sure that every week your lawn, your plant material, whatever is irrigated, whether you're using a hose and a sprinkler or an irrigation system, get one inch of water every week. So if it rains two inches, does that mean that you could wait two weeks? No. 
<laughs> because, I mean, we could have all kinds of wind, which is going to dehydrate and everything else. That's okay. great when you have that much rain, just so it doesn't come down so much, it just runs off, and you've already have the ground softened so it sinks in. But no, just every week, regardless of how much, you know, I mean, if there was like five inches or something or some of these places where they're having these flood warnings, you got to be careful about that. But every seven days, you should have an inch of new water put on your, you know, on your landscape just in general. Okay, but it still doesn't answer. If it rains an inch on Monday, can you, do, you, do you not have to water for the rest of the week? Right, exactly. One oh, inch okay. for All every right. seven days, whether okay. it's Monday or Friday or Sunday or Tuesday. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks a lot. I, uh, I enjoy your show. Well, great. Well, thank you. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Centralia, Illinois, that's Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a crabapple tree that has sprouts coming out from the ground by the trunk. Right. And the trunk has some little cracks, like two where bugs, some kind of ant maybe, goes a little bit. I was wondering what I need to do to help it and maybe put something on that crack or what do you suggest? The crack could be just, an, you know, as the diameter of any kind of trunk increases, it could have that crack as a result of just the diameter of the trunk increasing. So that may not be a problem. If you can see into the crack and you can see actually the heart wood below the bark, then it's maybe a little bit of a problem. But for the most part, if the tree's overall healthy, I wouldn't worry too much about that crack. So it's just, you know, that's just kind of one of the things that happen because there's nothing that you can really do with it. I mean, the old type things where they used to fill them up with this and that and everything else, it doesn't help. It actually can cause more problems than good. And as far as the suckers coming up out of the base of the root system and everything else, uh, just cut those off as close to the ground as you possibly can. Okay, I thought it was getting unhealthy, so... <laughs> no, not necessarily, because some of the varieties of crab apples are actually grafted trees. So in other words, the trunk is a separate tree from the root system, and they're sort of, let's say, glued together. But the root system doesn't realize that it's just supposed to be a root system for that trunk, and it starts producing, you know, growth. And so consequently, that's what happens. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you. Well, thank you. And now let's go from Centralia to Florissant. And, Jerry, what's going on? Yeah, I got a couple of questions. I read somewhere where you should take some of your uh, and the tomato plants, get rid of some of the leaves so they can get some air inside of them. What percent would you take off? I wouldn't take you know, any off, uh-huh. to be honest with you. The air circulation and everything else, generally if your tomatoes are being watered you know, on the ground and not – you know, the humidity and everything else, it shouldn't be all that much problem for the tomatoes. So to try to just thin them out, I don't think that's a very good idea because, again, as I said with, I forget what the question was, the leaves are what make the food to keep the plant healthy and vibrant and producing fruit because this is a tomato and keeping the root system viable and everything else. So you start reducing the leaf count, then you've got, you know, less food, less chlorophyll being produced. So I would say, if anything, I would, you know, if, there's, if you have tomatoes that have a lot of tomatoes on them, I, my tendency would be to take like 25% of the tomatoes off, you know, while they're really small. So the energy can go to the other tomatoes. You may not have the same numbers, but you're going to probably have healthier, bigger, and more vibrant tomatoes. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Uh, I called about a month ago about my uh, 
Clementis and Peroni not having will they flower maybe be a blossom next year or should I get rid of them? Uh, you could give it. A, I wouldn't get rid of them yet, but yeah, I mean, uh, if you give them two years and you get no flowers off of them, yeah, definitely get rid of them. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to South County and to Harry's yard. Hi, Harry. Hi. Hey, uh, I looked at a lawn and I had it treated for fungus about two weeks ago. And uh, it looks like it might be taken care of. But then the lawn service wanted to put uh, fertilizer and weed killer down last week. And I have heard that if you do that, the fungus will spread like wildfire. Is that true? No, not necessarily. It depends upon what kind of lawn do you have. I have fescue. So you have fescue. I don't like to, you know, fertilize fescue or bluegrass this time of year, for you know, personally. So you know, that's those kind of things like to be fertilized when it's, and especially this year because it's so nutty hot. But you know, one application or so in May, and then the main applications for the cool season lawns are going to be September, October, and November with like a fall feeding type fertilizer. Summer feeding, I just don't agree with. It can cause, that can cause, you know, a circumstance where, you know, the plant's going to be forced to grow. It can't take the heat and that could just weaken it. And yeah, I mean, that could cause fungus problems, but it could also cause other problems as well. One more question, please. Uh, I I think it's called nut edge. Sedge, S-E-D-G-E, yeah. Uh, uh, I had that also sprayed about 10 days ago. Is it too early? They hit it again. It doesn't look like it did any good to it. So you're not seeing any kind of discoloration on the blades that were sprayed? Well, some, some, but uh, evidently you didn't hit them all because I noticed I just cut yesterday. I looked out this morning, and some of it's coming up already, believe it or not. Well, there, I mean, there's all kinds of seeds and everything else. So nutsedge is a really horrible weed, and it takes a very specific herbicide to get rid of it, you know, like sedge injure or something like that. The normal grass killers and things like that doesn't have any kind of impact on it at all. So if you're not seeing any death, you probably actually have some, you know, some of it's discoloring, but there's still going to be more when it's hot and humid. I think the humidity today is like, this morning, I, th- I, saw, I thought I saw it was like 90%. And this is a perfect environment with all the rain we've had recently for nutsedge just to explode. So if you've had a history of it, there could be some dormant seeds that are now just erupting and growing. So it could be a combination of some of the things that weren't sprayed, new th- plants that are germinating and coming up. So it's going to be it's an ongoing battle, almost a weekly type thing to you know, get the nutsedge under control. And at the end of the season, you'll think, oh, I won't have any nutsedge next year. Uh, that's not true. You're going to have it, regardless of what you do or how diligent you are. Thank you, Mike. Yes. Uh, nice talking to you. Yes, same here. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm kind of a, I don't want to say a, a weed nut, but I like to fool around with the, you know, the things I recommend and see what's going to happen, what's here, there, and everything else. We have a relatively small backyard, and so that's mainly where the nutsedge was. And I've kind of been battling it ever since we've been there. And so consequently, last year was the first time at the end of the season, some basically August or so, there was no more nutsedge. And I thought, oh, it's gone. 
But no, that wasn't the case. Now this year it's back. It's less by far, but still there's still a lot of it there. So consequently, it's an like I said, it's a marathon, whether you're trying to control weeds or grow anything. Mary Ellen lives in Kirkwood. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hey, Mike, you've been to my house. I've met you before. Oh, really? <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> but I have a current problem. Um, we just planted nine green giant arborvitaes. Woo. And about a month ago. And they're beautiful, but I am so afraid they're going to burn up or I'm going to overwater. And my question is, how much? How do I know how much water to give these things? Basically, as I said before, when it rains, get a rain gauge so you can find out how much rain is hitting your yard. So okay. it doesn't matter how much rain it can you know, happen at the airport or happen in the South County or anything else. But, you know, an inch of water a week should be adequate. So okay. how do you know, you know, what is an inch of water? Well, you know, you, soaker hoses, that's a little difficult to tell because, right. you know, they're laying right on the ground. But if you use a, a regular sprinkler or you have an irrigation system, just put some kind of bowl or whatever out there and it can okay. catch the water and you can watch it and just make sure that you're giving it giving them an inch an inch okay um you're not going to tell me a certain time like 15 minutes per <laughs> no you can't, there, can't do i it. don't know your water pressure or anything else right so right. that's why i'm saying put a bowl out there then uh-huh. you could watch the clock and see okay. you know go out there every so every x amount of minutes or whatever and say okay finally it's an inch and it's been x amount of minutes then okay. you can just do it that way in the future because sure. you know how much water's coming out Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. We'll try to keep them alive. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck for that. Because, I mean, these poor guys, they are facing a brutal first month of their life. Oh, they are. I mean, and then it it rains and rains and rains. Right. And then it's so hot. So you really don't know what they're getting. (laughs) (laughs) And we spent a bunch of money on those babies. You aren't kidding. I'm sure you did. (laughs) I did. I did. Trying to keep them alive. Right. All right. Good luck. Thank you, Mike. Yep. Uh-huh. And yeah. also remember, with any of the evergreens, you know, I don't know if you've had a soil test done or anything else, but they need to have an acidic soil. So, you know, you may have to get a soil test done to find out what the acidity level of your soil is because the overall health can really be impacted by the correct soil pH. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The finger. You use it every day. When you point. Oh, look at that. Explore KMOX.com. Hmm, that's interesting. Check your smartphone. Oh, text alert. And even in traffic. Hey, buddy! Tired of over-exercising your extremity? Now you can use your voice. Alexa, play KMOX. News Radio 1120 KMOX. Now let's go live to meteorologists. Ditch the digits. Get KMOX on demand with only one command. Alexa. KMOX News, Traffic, and Weather is now on Alexa. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, headed south down to Arnold, and that's where Helen lives. Hi, Helen. Good morning, Mike. Um, I've got about 40 knockout rose bushes in my yard. Yikes. And, yeah, and this year, three of them have, like, morphed into a strange-looking bush. The flowers are coming out like a in a bush, like a bouquet, and the stems are red. And um, I think my mother-in-law had two rose bushes that did the same thing, right? And they eventually died. So 
I don't know what's happening to them or what's causing it. That's my main question because I really don't want that to happen to my other bushes. Yeah, unfortunately, it sounds like you have rose rosette, and that's a deadly disease, and it can be transmitted by all kinds of different insects and everything else. So they can move from the infected one over to the uninfected one. And actually, the I mean, even at the arch grounds where they have professional groundskeepers there all the time, their, some of their roses, knockout roses, got affected with the rose rosette. They ended up just going ahead and having to take them all out. But if you have 40 of them, I mean, there isn't anything that you can spray as a preventative for the rose rosette. That's the unfortunate thing. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So I guess <laughs> yes. I'll just have to dig them out. Yeah. I, I've yeah. got two separate beds, and the other bed is not affected. And there's probably, I'd say, 15 in this bed, and three of them right now are, are affected. Right. So, so you're saying that it'll, it'll eventually spread to the other one? It ones? can. It's spread by spider mites. So the spider mites get, you know, they get it all over themselves while they're feeding and, you know, doing this and doing that. Then the wind blows the spider mites onto the other shrubs, and then they've got it all over, the say, their feet. And then they inoculate the other one, that the other knockout rose that hasn't been, you know, impacted by it yet. And they inoculate it and get it into the vascular system or the veins of the unaffected rose. And now all of a sudden it's going to have the rose rosette. Uh, that brings a question to mind. How about trying to spray for spider mites uh, on the other bushes? That would definitely and- help. But just make sure if you're going to spray for spider mites, use a miticide and spray on the underside of leaves as well. And, you know, don't spray in the heat of the day because you could do some damage to your roses just by, you know, by the, having the chemical on there when it's extremely hot. So right. always read the label. And it's called miticide? Yeah, M-I-T-I-C-I-D-E. Okay. So it's specific. Because a regular insecticide doesn't impact spider mites. So that's why you've got to have one that's specifically for killing, let's say, spider mites. That's good to know. I've got one more question. Okay. I, uh, this is a, I've lived in this house for 45 years. I've never had deer eat my hostas. This year, they're coming into the yard and, and just... I've got four of them that are completely chewed up. Right. What can I do to keep the deer off of them? Yeah, just get, you know, I mean, try some different repellents. Also, you know, the repellents are great, but, you know, I have found, and I actually the one of the houses I was at this past Wednesday, they're doing the same thing. Dial soap. Or no, I really? sorry, sorry, Irish spring, bars of soap. You can lay that around. For some reason, the deer hate that. So, so th- just lay it by the plant? Exactly. Just, you know, a full darn. bar. You know, I, some people say cut it up in pieces. I say, who cares? But uh, Irish Spring Soap, that smell, apparently the deer, it burns their eyes and their nose and everything else. You well, could try that. Give but give that a try. And then also go to your favorite garden center and get a repellent. But this is, again, a circumstance just like the lady with the squirrels eating her tomatoes. It's uh-huh. so dry, the deer are just desperate. Yeah. So Irish Spring. Yes. And is there a, a commercial type product that you can buy as well? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, just go to your favorite garden center and just tell them that you want a repellent. And, you know, I can't, you know, there's all kinds of different ones out there. I don't know what each place is going to have. So just tell them you want a repellent that will repel wildlife. So it'll be okay. deer, chipmunks, all this, you know, everything. Right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Yep.
Good luck with that. Yeah, Irish Spring soap. And if you had trees close by, which I guess with your hosta you may, put some on the ground, the Irish Spring soap bars, and you could hang some. Of course, this looks a little weird seeing you know, bars of soap hanging from your trees. It looks, you know, so maybe just put them on the ground. It's up to you. Jerry lives in Warson Woods. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Mike, I have a, a ranch-style home, and I have a big oak tree right in the middle of the front lawn, so the front of the house is pretty heavily shaded. I recently tore out some old uh, holly bushes that were dying, and I want to replace these plants with uh, with some perennial plants that love shade. Are there anything? Are there, is there anything like that? And I would prefer something that retains its foliage during the year or two, if that's possible. You mean year-round? Yes, sir. Uh, there's not too many things. I mean, you could do, look at ground covers like the Vinca Minor, which is the periwinkle ground cover, which is, I mean, it's evergreen. That's tough and durable. There's not too many things, you know, in a shade, you know, garden circumstance that's going to, the foliage is going to look good. There's Pachysandra, but that's another ground cover type thing. There is, you know, Bergenia, that's B-E-R-G-E-N-I-A. You could look at that. It has pink flowers in the springtime as far as it is evergreen. But, you know, when I say evergreen, for the ground covers, it's pretty much, you know, consistent. But with the perennials, any of them that, you know, you're even touted as being, let's say, shade tolerant and then, let's say, evergreen, boy, oh, boy, we get a bad winter and it's, you know, I mean, they're going to disappear. So you may just, you know, have to understand that, you're going to have to just kind of live with maybe using some of the ground covers, but then you could use Japanese painted fern. You could use a palace purple coral bells. You could use all kinds of the hostas. So there's lots of different things, but they all sort of disappear You know, when, let's say, Halloween or Thanksgiving come around, and then they don't come back around for another five months. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. I, right. You know, there are a few houses in the neighborhood that have similar circumstances, some of them have some azaleas in front of them, but they get a little bit of filtered sunlight in the morning, which right. I, I get very little. Which is fine. It's just, you know, if your oak tree is huge, the azaleas, yeah, I mean, azaleas are great if, you know, in your neighborhood, but there's probably been thousands of them that have plant, been planted, not necessarily even in your situation, but even in different situations. Azaleas are just, a, you know, somewhat iffy. Okay. Okay. Well, Mike, thank you very much for your help. I do appreciate it. Sure. And if you want to maybe, you know, a, let's say a shrub type thing, look at the PJM rhododendron. I would choose that over the azaleas, personally. Let's go now to David in Baldwin. Hi, David. Hi, Mike. Good morning to you. Hi. I need to pick your brain about bagworms on my junipers. They seem to be decimating uh, a whole row of trees that I have, and I don't know what to do about them. The unfortunate thing is there is the the bags that are hanging there, that was a female in there. She's already filled it up with eggs. And then there is no pesticide, you know, insecticide that's going to penetrate that bag to kill those eggs. That's not to say everyone that's dangling is still filled with eggs, but at one time they were. So there's not really too much you can do other than, you know, a couple months ago people were calling about the bagworms. That's when they were hatching. You have to just watch for that. Then the young ones that are coming out of those bags where mom, you know, laid them, they, you can use a regular insecticide and kill them. But right now there's not too much that can be done. Okay. So the, the larger bags then are the 
uh, is where they're coming from. So if I remove them earlier in the year, then I can control the problem. Exactly. But, I mean, to get rid of all of them, I don't know how many you have. Because, I mean, that was one of the things, you know, growing up in Ellisville, the house is built in the 50s. They all had fitzers in front of them. But all of them seemed to have bagworms. So that was one of the deals. We, you know, my father, my mother would send us out as kids to pick all the bagworms off the trees. And it's a, you know, it's a laborious type circumstance. Yeah. So is that also an option, too, just to pick them off? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You know, and if you can't, rather than yanking them, just have a pair of snippers right there with you. Right. Okay. I appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions or concerns, take a look around in your yard because we do have another hour, the tip of the trial hour. I will see you after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.